All right, here we are back for another weekly session of Munitions Podcast. It is uh, August 22, 2023. For those who aren't counting, that means uh, football season is, high school season is in full swing. So two days are over. The camp is, all that fun is done. College still around the corner. And what, what else you got to do except talk about guns? So here we are with Derek DeBrosse. <laughs> Derek, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. And do not ask me about football. I dislike football. He's not a football <laughs> fan, folks. He's a, he's a gun guy. So I'm a gun guy and a football fan. Uh, college football. I like hockey. Anyway. I yeah. like hockey a lot. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I played football for a year in high school. I just, uh, I grew up in a very hardcore Browns family. My dad, I remember in the 90, it was a 99 when the Browns left, Steve, or that's when they came back. I can't remember. I can't remember. They, le- they left in 96 or whatever it was. And I remember Paul Tagliabue was the commissioner in the NFL. And the reason I remember that, because my dad forced me to write a letter to Paul Tagliabue about how terrible it was for the Browns to leave Cleveland. That's and he awesome. was on the front, he was on the front page of our little newspaper in my hometown full spread ad of him with his Browns flag on the flagpole hang hung upside down at half mass. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, that was such a crazy time in this state. All the, you know, the Cleveland Browns, I grew up in the eighties when, uh, you know, I watched the Browns blow it when yeah. uh, Ernest Biner fumbled the, the fumble. football. Yeah. The fumble. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and then with like, who knew back then within a decade, they'd be gone. Like yeah. gone, not in Ohio at all. No football, no yeah. pro football up in Cleveland. Crazy. So everybody's thinking, what the hell's that to do with guns? Nothing, nothing at all. But <laughs> uh, you know, we are here to talk about guns. So let's, I, you know, Derek, I, we, you and I, for those who don't know, I do criminal defense work, and Derek does, uh, by and large, uh, gun uh, regulatory work. And all, well, you, Derek, you tell us what you do, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, anything regarding the firearms and sporting goods industry, essentially, as it pertains to law, but predominantly anything uh, consumer or corporate or commercial based um, on the gun regulatory side. And I also do what I would call post-conviction criminal work in the gun world. So restoration rights, appellate work, things like that. And I consult on actual criminal cases with people like yourself. But as yep. far as the regulatory side, we we help with compliance practices at FFLs, which means federal firearms licensees. We help them with developing operating procedures and just making sure they don't run afoul regulatory provisions that they have to comply with. Yeah. And in what what happens is Derek will call me when when a, when a case he's working on gets uh, into the realm of criminal defense where somebody's actually targeted or accused of a crime, and you know we'll talk about how that happens in a second. And then I'll call him when I have a client who's seeking a restoration of rights, or if I get questions from somebody uh, maybe who's a gun shop owner, runs a business, and and wants to know what to do. I get those kind of questions a lot, so it's sort of a hand in glove situation. Um, but you know, back to the point I was making is that how does it happen then? that uh, somebody that Derek is working with ends up in a criminal case. Now, there's the obvious ways if somebody goes and takes a gun and shoots somebody, that's a crime with a gun. But what I have seen, and I think, Derek, it's it's interesting that what we have seen in cases we're working together here lately is sort of this, com, com, what am I trying to say, the melding of the two, where the regulatory stuff is starting to emerge as also criminal stuff. And people are thinking, well, how in the heck could that happen? Um you know, it, it it's it's politically motivated, and we can dig into this here. Uh, and it, it, a lot of it is is left to the discretion of the cops, that is the ATF agents and or the federal government, about how it happens. But you know, the forms that that people have to fill out, uh, the forms that the shops are required to fill out, the owners of the shops have to fill out. Um, the, there's a pretty complicated regulatory scheme. That goes along with it. So, Derek, you can't just open up a gun shop and say, I'm a gun salesman. I mean, it's it's bigger than that. How's that work in, in simple terms? 
Yeah. Uh, so to break this down, there's an application process. So you have to be under the Federal Firearms Act of 1938 is when the regulatory scheme uh, began. So you have to be licensed in order to sell guns for commercial purposes um, and manufacture guns and manufacture destructive devices, sell destructive devices. There's all kinds of different licenses, but the most common is what we call a type one slash two, which is uh, just a dealer and or pawnbroker and firearms. And then there's also the manufacturer, which is a type seven. And if you want to get into specialty guns, like fully automatic machine guns or what the ATF refers to as silencers or suppressors, you need a, an additional, what I'll call a license, but it's really just a tax you pay called an SOT, which stands for special occupational tax. Um, once you get that license issued, and that usually takes two, three months after you submit the application, uh, which is normally done through an entity, not through your individual name, uh, for liability purposes, then you're up and running. Once the license is issued, they they come and do what they call an application inspection before the license is issued, and they'll give you a stack of papers. And they used to, I don't know if they still do, but they used to physically give you what I call the white book, which is the Federal Firearms Regulation Reference Guide, which is literally the entirety of the National Firearms Act and the Gun Control Act and its pertinent Code of Federal Regulations uh, attached there too. And they say, you're responsible for all this knowledge. Good luck. And that's it. ATF's not responsible to train you. So, um, so it's really incumbent upon the licensee to seek out training and, and educate themselves. It, it, this is like, um, you know, there's this weird world out there of the, this is what Trump or people would call the deep state. And then what they're really saying is the deep state is made up of, of administrative agencies, departments, and departments have authority to make what we call in the in the law rules. And you would ask, what the hell's a rule? Well, a rule is like a law, except it's written by somebody in a department, and you have to follow the rules. So the Congress delegates authority, um, or the president would delegate Congress. Uh, the president delegate creates the administrative departments. Congregates de Congress delegates authority uh, to the administrative departments to say, go write some rules about this, and um, and then they do and. When, when our worlds cross is, is when people don't follow the rules and they try to make it a crime not to follow the rules. So we see this in various areas of the law. Uh, maybe to take it out of guns for a second, I see it a lot in healthcare and everybody's heard of Medicare, Medicaid fraud, or home health fraud where uh, there, are, there are a bunch of people out there who sort of start their own home health business and they go around uh, serving folks. But the, the paperwork requirements and the regulatory requirements are immense. And if you get behind, it gets really ugly. And if you don't get your paperwork done, people think, well, I did that work over there. I didn't bill for it. So I'll bill extra over here. And they end up indicted and charged with crimes. And, it, you know, the gun business, as Derek said, they give you this big book and say, go forth and prosper. But they don't really train you or tell you all the rules that you have to follow. How thick is the book, Derek? Uh, the actual printed book was probably half inch to an inch thick. I mean, it's substantial. And you remember, this is law. This isn't like reading a fifth grader's book. This right, is right. reading statute and, like and, two and regulation. language and see this right. and subsection A, F, C, blah, blah, blah. Well, then when you read it, it's got to be interpreted. Just because a law says X doesn't mean it means X, as any lawyer can tell you. Ah. Um, so, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's just the, the regulatory scheme we operate under. Operate under. One other thing to keep in mind is, you know, depending what article you read, revocations have gone up this year, like 350%. Revocations I mean, of people with licenses to sell guns. Right, yeah. right. Like, like under Biden, like they've really tried to put a damper on the industry. They're really, really trying. And this is not an unusual occurrence under, I think, Clinton, we had a similar issue, but it wasn't to this extent. So now we're actually starting to see not only are they trying to take licenses in, in a lot of cases where criminal charges would never be brought, they're 
they're starting to indict people or at least send out target letters. Well, and this is what this is where people need to understand. This is real, folks. This is not conspiracy theory stuff. And, you know, maybe I I tack a little bit towards conspiracy theories if somebody's really going to criticize me. But this this is real. So what happens is the executive branch, Biden, in our situation right now, says we're going to we're going to crack down on gun crime. And what they really mean is they're going to sick the ATF, the regulatory body, the department, the administrative agency, and they're going to start looking for mistakes. And then they're going to find mistakes, and then they're going to act on those mistakes, like by revoking people's licenses. And it's not that there are more problems with paperwork now. It's just that now there's more enforcement of problems with paperwork. So, you know, the inverse is also true, that it looks like there's more gun problems if you go uh, increase enforcement. So if on uh, if on a certain weekend you want to put 50 cops on uh, I-71 here cutting through Columbus, Ohio, or maybe to I, or 23 South heading to Portsmouth from all the way from Detroit, um, and you want to put a bunch of cops on the road, well, guess what? You're going to find more speeders if you have more cops on the road because they're enforcing it more. It's not that there are more speeders, generally speaking, but more are getting caught, and that will skew the numbers up. And this is what po- politicians do. So if Biden wants to say there's more gun crime, he's going to go find it. And, you know, at, at first it was regulatory. So people would call Derek and say, guess what? I, I, they're invested. I got an audit. They're going through all my books and I've screwed up some stuff. Can you help? And he would help. And now in the last couple of months, we've had a couple where the call is like, guess what, Derek? They, they're auditing me. They're going through all this. And then I get the call from Derek because then the criminal side of ATF gets involved and they get what Derek is calling a target letter from a, an assistant United States attorney for doing for for screwing up their regulatory paperwork the same way they probably did five years ago, except now it's getting treated criminally. That's where the danger lurks in the deep state. And I think part of the uh, look, it's 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 very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's very deceptive and how the federal government is attacking this. Look, we all know. Biden, the Biden administration's anti-gun. One, they they all admit to that. They are just not pro-gun. Yeah, that's not a conspiracy. Um, just listen to what they say. It's not a conspiracy. They yeah. just absolutely are anti-gun. It's very, it's very, uh, it's a very creative way of trying to hurt the industry when you think about it. Because who's who the hell, Steve, wants to get in the business of selling guns when one, your 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 uh, retail mark on a gun is like ten percent. It's not even that much money. Yeah. And then on two on, on top of it, you have all this regulation where before people would be like, "Well, I love I love guns. I'm passionate about guns. I'll get involved in this industry because I love being around these people." But now there's an, an added element. I might be charged with a crime if I screw up my paperwork, and yeah. I might end up in federal prison. Well, so yeah, it, it's very it's a very mischievous uh, way of uh, or sneaky way of trying to put a damper on the industry because if you dissuade people from wanting to develop this industry further and getting more people into this industry, it starts to basically die. Yeah. They're, they're tamping it out using the long arm of the governmental agencies. These are the brown shirts, folks. These, I mean, these are literally the brown shirts. These are the administrative cops of the world in our country cracking down with regulation and then applying those regulations now in a criminal way. So look, I mean, we're working on a case. It's not in Ohio. It's out of state. I'm not going to mention the state. But we have good people for clients, good people who have made their living operating and owning a gun shop. And maybe they screwed up their paperwork. Maybe they didn't. From what I've seen, none of it is a capital offense. I mean, and and by screw up paperwork, I mean, you know, we're not talking about selling guns to criminals on purpose. We're talking about maybe not filing a correct form 
and then uh, going back and trying to fix it or doing something, you know, stuff that you don't think in the moment is necessarily bad and stuff that in a, in a perfect world, the prosecutor would use discretion and never touch it. Now, now these people are not only losing their livelihood, their small business, they are threatened with literally threatened with prison. So it, what, what was five years ago, maybe a, uh, I don't know what the consequence would have been some regulatory consequence. Now it's a threat with prison and lose your shop, lose your license, never be able to work in the industry again and move on. So as a, they are, they are puppets for the, uh, or pawns for the political maneuverers uh, to get their numbers up and get guns off the street. And you're right, Derek, it is a, it is a very, very, um, devious way of cracking That's the word down I was looking for. Thank guns. you. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of that word. I couldn't think of it. That's it. That's exactly right. It's devious. To, to say we're going to tamp out the suppliers on the local level for uh, the little guy. And, and you know, it, it's so contrary to the, the nonsense they tout anyway, because who wins? The big boys. The big box stores yeah. win, you know, because they're, they're not going to go out of business selling guns. So it's no. going to take out the mom and pop shops in the big box stores who sell infinitely more guns than those mom yeah. and poppers do still well, get to do what they do. We've mentioned this before in the past. And part of this strategy, again, very de- devious is to just outspend them. Mom and pop can't afford, you know, munitions law group to fight a federal case all the way through appeal. It's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially. Right. You know, but these big box stores sure as hell can, they can afford it. Yeah. You know, so you're right. It's going to muscle them out of the market and we do what we can to make it affordable for clients, but you know, it's a, it's a job, it's a business. The practice law needs to generate revenue so I can pay all my expenses and costs. And fortunately that's the way the world works. Well, it's a parallel to the COVID nonsense because during COVID they shut down the mom and pop restaurants, but McDonald's got to operate, you know? And it's like, right. look, we all love our double cheeseburgers at McDonald's. So I don't mean to knock it, but the point is, is that the big companies thrived to the point where uh, not only did they expand beyond any comprehension, they were also able to lower their prices. Like the, the big box stores could lower their prices based on volume and actually lose money in areas to, in order to, uh, corner the marketplace and the mom and pops couldn't survive. They weren't allowed to go to work because they weren't essential. Uh, and at the same time, the big box stores get bigger so they can tamp it out. It's like, it's the opposite of the, of the, of what they're trying to preach, but, it's it's always the the little guys that become the pawns in the in the gun business. That's what I'm seeing now. And here I am traveling out of state to go help some poor guy who all he wanted to do was run his family business and put his kids through college. I mean, and people are like, no, he's selling guns. He shouldn't have. Well, you know, no, it's a business to him, and he's trying to do it right. And I can't say everybody does it perfectly, but uh, and and deal with the problems that he has. But you don't prosecute people in yeah. federal court uh, on gun charges. For this kind of regulatory nonsense. Now, yeah. we, we should talk about the kind of stuff that that warrants prosecution. So, Derek, talk about a straw purchase and what that's about. And and this, this is a big one because this is a little bit – now, if you've got a store, I don't care how big it is, how small it is, that's intentionally engaging or permitting this kind of stuff, well, this makes sense. So, Derek, tell us how that works, and I'll talk about the criminal sure. side of it. And before – let me make one comment, and then I'll, I'll go into straw purchases – uh, one thing that, you know, I hope the federal government, somebody at TF is listening to this because I I know this for a fact, talking to clients. It used to be that the industry was in a, in a partnership with ATF. That's literally how the industry would look at it. They were in a partnership with the ATF. They wanted to keep guns out of the hands of bad people, and, and they were okay with that. But when you start to look at the industry as no longer a partner, but as a potential criminal – you think the industry is going to willingly tell you about things that are done or mistakes that were made to, you know, keep guns off off the streets and out of the hands of bad people? No, 
So it actually what the ATF has done through Biden administration's policies has hurt public safety, which is their primary goal at ATF is to ensure public safety. They're yeah. actually working backwards, in my opinion. They're hurting yeah. themselves. This is the law of unintended consequences. It's such a great point you made. And we're going to take it right back to football. Anybody who's ever watched a college football game, even a pro football game, uh, the wide receiver always goes out. And you can almost every single play that he's he's pushed way out there, he has a little conversation with the ref out there to ask if he's okay. Am I cross the line? Am I on the line? Am I behind the line as I'm supposed to be? Whatever it should be. And the ref says, yeah, sure. Now imagine a scenario where that kind of um, cooperation with the referee and the players did not occur. You know, it would it screws everything up. Now, the ref doesn't have to do it, and the other team could say that's not fair, but it's just one of those common courtesies that exists. So if I'm trying to get my store straight and I want to do the regular – I want to run it – I want to run it clean – and I, a mistake was made, and I want to report it and say, look, ATF, we screwed up this form. It should have said this, or we forgot to file it here, and now we want to fix it. Can you help us file an amended form? That is getting suppressed now because stores, mom and pop or whoever, right. they're worried that if they disclose that, then they're going to get skewered and lose their license and their livelihood. And instead, what should happen is ATF should intervene and say, no big deal. We can help you fix this, and we're going to teach you how to do it right the next time. Because lo and behold, what we're all looking for is to be able to disseminate yeah. guns to people who are allowed to have them and not give guns to people who aren't. And now what's happening is when a mistake is made, it's getting buried. And and, and it, that's it, the problem. It's not the boots on ground, ATF agents and uh, administrative personnel they're at fault. I mean, when when the president comes out and say, hey, these five violations will automatically lead to a revocation notice. Well, you're taking discretion out of the the enforcement personnel that have to decide, was this violation willful? So, you know, when someone calls to voluntarily report a mistake that was made, if it falls into one of those five categories, they have no control over this, Steve. They have to revoke because that's coming from higher up. They have to do it. Yeah. It's just bullshit. When, whenever the the government, whether it's at, at the state level where the General Assembly tries to control what a prosecutor does or what a police officer does or tries to con- control boots on the ground discretion, it almost always results in disaster. Because what they're trying to do is cram down policy in areas that they haven't thought about uh, enough, only to make statistics, because it yeah. looks good. It's called theater. It's political theater. And in here, what we're talking about is uh, we've actually talked to agents and auditors who would say, look, I don't want to do anything about this, but I have to. Now we have to turn it in. You're going to lose your license and you can't run this business anymore. And these people who have invested all the money in inventory, all the money in in brick and mortar, all the money in employees, the people who have jobs, it's like they're willing to let all that go, Biden is, because of the anti-gun agenda. And that's you know what? It's dirty stuff. Yeah. All right. So let me turn back to straw purchasers so uh, we can talk about this. So I'll give you a prime example that we see a lot of. Uh, the most clear example of a straw purchase is normally you go to a gun store. Sometimes it's not in the best area of town. A lot of these gun stores get zoned out to the outskirts of town. Uh, if you stand there long enough, you'll eventually see a couple come in. They're only a boyfriend and girlfriend. Girlfriend clearly has no idea what a gun even is. Uh, they're looking, pointing at guns, kind of whispering to each other. Then you'll notice them go to the back of the the, the shop or maybe outside. He'll hand her a bunch of cash. She'll come in and point to the gun and say, I want that one. Well, what's actually going on is he's a felon, more than likely can't own a gun. So he's having her buy the gun for his use, and she's going to have the background check run on her. And then she'll give the gun to him once they leave the store. 
that's a straw purchase that is completely illegal. And there's all kinds of variations of that, including there was one U.S. Supreme Court case where a law enforcement officer who got a discount on guns bought a gun for his father. It wasn't gifted to his father, which is completely legal. His father gave him money to buy the gun. He went and bought the gun, did the background check on himself. One of the first questions on the 4473, which is the ATF form that you fill out when you buy a gun that conducts the background check is, are you the actual transferee? And in that case, he said he was. He actually wasn't. The money came from his father, gave the gun to his father, got arrested, and went all the U.S. Supreme Court. U.S. Supreme Court and the conviction was upheld. Another wow. example of a straw purchase. Yeah. So it this this demands the question: When is the shop responsible? So you know that you can see a scenario where uh, the shopkeeper doesn't see this conversation, or the conversation happens in the parking lot, or uh, they they're not aware of it. And but most of the time, it's like eh, maybe you know maybe we saw that, maybe we didn't. What's your experience with that, Derek? Um. You know, normally the straw purchasing cases I've had are pretty clear straw purchasing. Um, but, you know, we're working on a case right now together where, I mean, the facts haven't really been developed. But from what we're being told, it's not so clear, right? Um, it, it just comes down to whether or not the government can prove beyond all reasonable doubt if when they they filled out the 4473, did they lie about being the actual transferee? It, I don't even know if there's really – I don't think there's a mens rea, which is criminal intent in this, Steve. I think it's strict liability. Um, because if you're not the transferee, you're not the transferee. You either are or you're not, right? Yeah, the question you, is, though, the owner of the shop. So if the owner of the shop is participating in this and knows this is going on and, and lets the purchase happen, now they become responsible. So it's it's a gray area. So it, like if the owner says, look, I didn't know. How would I have known? Um, right. And it, Well, sometimes you, it could be a wink and a nod, right? Like it's pretty clear. And I – I haven't seen a lot of case law where it's been so gray because they do have to prove it to beyond a reasonable doubt that they had some sort of knowledge. It would be a complicity argument, right? Like yep. Aiding and abetting. Um, they're not doing it unless they have direct evidence that they, there have been cases where dealers have been in cahoots with criminal organizations and allowing these transfers to occur. But absent that, if somebody's just coming in like a boyfriend-girlfriend situation, I think they have to have some pretty clear evidence that this this dealer is complicit in that crime. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and so we're, real quick, Steve, so we're clear on this. Let me make something really clear. There's no crime called straw purchasing. It's actually making a false statement on the on the government form. So when the 4473 says, are you the actual transferee? And you answer no, that's the crime, making that false and material uh, misleading fact or, or incorrect fact to the government. Correct. So this is like bank fraud. You know, it's not the uh, the the entry, the false entry on the document is the crime. Not the not the ramifications of it, or whether you actually had the money or didn't have the money, or whatever it is. So it's making a false statement. So when you lie on a federal form, whether it's a to get a loan or to get a mortgage or to uh, uh, apply to have a gun or fill out the form to have a gun, that becomes the crime. It's when you provide false information about who's getting the gun and who and who's uh, going to receive the gun. So when you when you say just go do this for me. Even if you're allowed to have a gun or even if the end person is allowed to have a gun, it still might be a problem if you're lying about it, um, uh, even as a even if it's insignificant. Um, yeah. And let me correct myself. <laughs> Biden just passed, you know, the Safer Communities Act this past year, and they do actually now have a crime. I just looked it up called uh, uh, it's actually 18 U.S.C. 932 straw purchasing a firearm. So there's an additional statute now that they can charge you under and we can go through that 
statute if you want, but I don't think it's really necessary. No, you, everybody gets a picture. It's sort of like lying yeah. about whether you have a drug and alcohol problem on your on your form. Yeah, and, and it's a knowingly violation. So the dealer would have to knowingly be conspiring because it actually says it should be unlawful for any person to knowingly purchase or conspire to purchase any firearm and otherwise affecting commerce for blah, 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 behalf of a felon. All right, there you go. So, it, it, you know, I guess the, the takeaway of all this, and this is going to lead us into our ammo can question. The takeaway of all this is the power of the administrative body, the ATF here, uh, is ever increasing. And a lot of this is subject to their interpretation and not just their interpretation about whether they're going to enforce the rules, but how they interpret the rules themselves. So we could have a situation one day where it's violates the it does not violate the rules to do a certain thing in the firearm industry. But then all of a sudden, you know, maybe tech branch or somebody in ATF says, no, no, now this is going to be against the law. So we're going to interpret it this way and start enforcing it. That's where the gray areas turn into reality and uh, and get people in trouble. So when 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 everybody says, and this is what drives me bananas most of the time, uh, or almost every time I hear it, we got to do something. You always hear these anti-gun folks saying, "Oh, you got to do something. You got to do something." Well, usually what you what you're saying there is you got to do something, but it doesn't make any sense what you're doing, or you know it's going to be completely ineffective, but it'll look good. In this situation, the something they're doing is not only ineffective for preventing guns getting to people who shouldn't have them, it's actually it's counterproductive. It is preventing good people from selling to people who are allowed to have them. And that's just going to push the gun or the gun trade deeper into uh, the black market where, cr- where criminals thrive. So uh, the, the adverse consequences of this uh, become pretty great. And, and most people don't think about it because it doesn't make the headline. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I do. So what's the ammo can question, Steve? Well, it's uh, you see, I did that shift. We, we, we did a transition. Not always so great at it, but this one's a pretty good one. So speaking of ATF agents, uh, they sometimes will knock on your door. Believe it or not, you can get an ATF agent knocking on your door. Now, I get calls all the time. Uh, hey, Steve, I, I got your card or I've always kept your number because I used to hear you on the radio or the podcast or you helped my buddy out. And the police are here, but it seems a little different when the ATF show up. So, Derek, what's the situation where the ATF might be knocking on somebody's door? I'm not going to go into the details of the listener's question because I think it's sure. just it's it's too specific, and we don't want to do that. Sure. But uh, let's just suffice it to say the ATF has knocked on his door, and uh, and the question here is, what do we do about that? Yeah. So, it, 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 I mean, short of calling my, you, right? It's happened in my practice in, in different capacities. I know there was a, I think there was a YouTube video this past year where ATF came and the, under the auspices of, oh, we're just checking serial numbers. We saw you bought two guns. We want to check the serial number. I was just amazed that that actually happened. I think that was actually on YouTube. But the clients that have hired me, it's 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 been a few, a couple different things. Um, one was the gentleman was disabled from having a firearm, so he had been convicted of, I think it was like assault, pled down from domestic violence. Didn't know it was a disability. Went to buy a gun. I think he got denied, and then ATF showed up at his door. It was somewhat friendly. They're saying, hey, just so you know, because they understand the law is confusing, you can't have guns. Um, but that's very dis- – it's unsettling, right? ETF federal agents are at my door. These boogeymen are at my door. Other cases, a lot of times you'll either get letters or knocks on the door depending on how they classify the person. And, yes, ATF does classify the citizens based on their criminal history. Um, there's different tiers. I think it's one through three if I remember correctly. So if you're uh, a violent felon and they get information that you had purchased what I would call um, pornography in the gun world, which are like uh, forced reset triggers, um, bump stocks, things that kind of 
toe the line in the gray zone. Um, ATF may show up at your door. And and if you're in a higher category, they may actually show up physically at your door. Normally, things like that, though, Steve, you're getting letters. And we represent a lot of people when they get those letters to help surrender that item or make a decision on what to do with the item. So it's it's normally something to do with somebody has a criminal history and they may or may not be in possession of something that the ATF believes they should not be in possession of. Yeah. So what do you do? You don't have to talk to them. Right. And this is this gets awkward every time. Whenever whenever a cop asks you to uh, ask what's happening or knocks on your door and wants to come in. uh, Remember this, whether it's ATF, um, DEA, local police, a sheriff's officer, a highway patrolman, whoever it might be, you don't have to let the government into your house unless they have a warrant. You don't have to talk. You don't. You have a right to remain silent, and you should exercise that right to remain silent. You should probably do it, not probably, you should do it with a little bit of uh, uh, courtesy. In other words, don't just throw up your middle finger and tell them to bug off hmm. and run away. But you can say, look, I, you know, I don't know what I should be doing here. Um, is it okay if I call my lawyer, Steve Palmer or Derek DeBras, and, and ask what to do? And if you're polite about it, if you're courteous about it, I have very rarely have had any police officer who gets offended by that. They get offended when you, people are pricks about it, and they um, right, and they're not they're not so courteous. But uh, you know, m- almost always, officers who are knocking on doors are okay with that, and there's a reason for that. They have to be right. They can't just come into your house. Um, this has always been my concern with gun control. It's it's the first part of it is controlling the guns, and the second part is in the enforcement. And it, how you how do you enforce it? You have to have somebody knocking on your door going in to check to see if you turned over the AR-15 that you purchased and you're still on the books for. And if you say, look, no, you can't come in, then what is the, what's going to be the ramification or what's going to be the, um, the uh, criteria for them to get a warrant to come in your house? Is it going to be good enough that at some point on the books you bought an AR-15, now they can come in and search your house? And anybody who's thinking, well, I don't care if they search my house, I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, what if they are doing something wrong and they're willing to lie? And if you think that the government doesn't do that, guess again, go watch more movies. It happens. Yeah. Look, I, I you know, I, I have a thought that's been going through my head. And I think the audience needs to hear this, even if we only have five listeners. Uh, you know, I'm concerned about the industry moving forward. Um, you know, hunting rates are way down. You know, the younger generation just not hunting as much. I don't even know that there is in the guns as, as the older generations. And, you know, the Second Amendment say what you want about it, it, it protects liberty at the end of the day, you know, an armed population is a people, peaceful population. So whatever we can do as a community of gun owners, we need to start bringing in this younger generation. We can bitch and moan about how they're just, you know, entitled and they're too sensitive, but at the end of the day, they are the future of this community and we need to get them ingratiated into these, uh, these different uh, clubs and sporting ranges and, and shooting ranges and all those things so that they can take the banner. And, and for instance, my job, what I do for a living, we need younger attorneys to take that and move forward with it like I did from the older generation. So I encourage the listeners and viewers out there to reach out to somebody that may have not shot a gun that's younger and introduce them to that. I mean, safely, obviously, and with permission from their parents if they're uh, minors. But- well, and, and you make a point. It's like, because if we don't do it, if you don't teach your kids how to do the dangerous stuff, then somebody else will. Or they're going to go do it on their own. And if you think that your your son, particularly, and call me sexist, I don't care, 
Um, but I, I had a counselor once once tell me it's like sexist. Get a, like <laughs> send a boy, send a group of boys out into the woods, and they're going to find a bunch of sticks, fashion them into something that they think it looks like a machine gun, and go play war. You know, it's like yeah. that's what kids do, and I'm sure girls do it too. So it is what it is. But you know, they're going to go play with the kind of dangerous things that um, you want to protect them from. So uh, by by ignoring the existence of a firearm, you're doing your kid no uh, service. Um, you're not. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, and you see this in these liberal communities. You read articles from time to time, you know, oh, you know, Sally's daughter found a gun and she freaked out and, you know, she ended up hurting herself with the gun. Well, it's because you didn't teach her how to use it. You know, you made them so damn and scared of these things that it ends up causing more harm than good. Um, how do you teach your kids to be fearful of of walking up and down stairs with scissors? Right. You right. tell them, you talk to them about it, you do it. And I'm not comparing guns to scissors, folks, but you get the point. It's like there are dangerous things that we have to send our kids out into the world. This is a very uh, fundamental notion of our of our Western civilization. Like we have to go forth and prosper. We have to go forth and face the world and face the danger in the world because that's how we become uh, adults uh, by overcoming those dangers. And if you send them out into the world without any uh, education on what the danger of this case firearms is and uh, what they what it could be then they're going to find out on their own and it's a really yeah. dangerous way to find out you know the, con- the the consequences of that can be pretty drastic so your answer to just legislate out of existence all guns that have ever been on the planet and never will be on the planet well that doesn't work so let's face reality that's yeah, Steve, I was just thinking uh, one last thing. We should definitely get some more uh, guests on the show. We had some guests, what, about three, four months ago? Yep. yep. Yeah, we should think about that. So if anybody out there is listening to this podcast and want to be on the show, maybe just shoot us an email. You can reach us at, right for now, at least, till we get our website up and running, which I believe, Steve, is still coming. I'm thinking that's going to be launched here soon. Yeah, we're, we're back um, on the schedule. Yeah, so um, just go ahead and send it to info at munitionsgroup.com. And if you have any questions that you want to put in the ammo can, that's the website to send it to as well. All right. Well, with that, we have wrapped up our 822-23 Munitions podcast episode. So uh, carry on, folks. Till next time. Uh, and by the way, if you got a topic you want us to cover, uh, not just a question, but a deeper topic, let us know that too, and we can do it. We, we I, I truly enjoy uh, doing the deep dive into some of this stuff. So yeah. anyway, uh, signing off for now, folks. We'll see you next time.